Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Evan Lazar here, Patriots insider and host of the Patriots Beat podcast here on the CLNS Media Network. As always, our content is powered by our exclusive wagering partners, betonline.ag. Use the promo code CLNS50 for 50% off your welcome deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. I'm Evan Lazar, joined as always by the multi-talented Celtics Patriots reporter, Alex Barth. Anybody is wondering why we're doing this show on Tuesday instead of Monday following practice, because this guy was out late last night at TD Garden covering the Boston Celtics, beating the Miami Heat in game four. So we'll get to the Boston Sports Minute later on in the show, but we got plenty of Patriots stuff to talk about here today, Alex. Both of us were out there at Gillette yesterday for the first day of phase three of the offseason program organized team activities getting underway at Gillette Stadium in Foxborough and we're gonna talk about it all we're gonna talk about the coaching staff the offense the defense but before we get into the coaching staff which is clearly the number one topic on everybody's mind if you turn on sports is it it on everybody's mind or, or on the the reporter's minds Fair enough. If you turn on Boston Sports Radio right now and they're talking Pats, they're talking Matt Patricia, Joe Judge, Bill Belichick, and the lack of Josh McDaniels and the offensive coaching staff, right? I mean, that's the number one topic around the team, at least being driven by the media, as Alex just pointed out, potentially a little bit too much. But before we get into the coaching staff, I've already texted you this take of mine, Alex, so I apologize that I'm I'm repeating myself to you at least. But Go ahead. It's a good take. After watching the team yesterday, and look, what we saw yesterday is glorified flag football. It's walkthrough. It's really no competition or really no live football action. So when I go out there at practice, I'm more looking for who's participating with whom and when, right? What roles are guys playing? What order are guys going in? Who is being paired with whom in terms of starters and things like that? And then generally in the passing game, how guys are moving and how guys look, but we're not into the real football part of the offseason. So when I look at practices like yesterday, I think a lot of it comes down to actually seeing what we've gone over on paper uh, with a fine tooth comb here on Patriot speed over the last couple of weeks, actually out there on a football field. It does help you organize it a little bit more, right? right? Of These guys are working with these guys. These guys are working with those guys. And what I come away with from watching this practice yesterday is despite all the uncertainty with the coaching staff, the play caller, the scheme, all of it with the Patriots offense, roster wise, they're pretty deep. 
They've got a lot of talent on the offensive side of the football. I would say from a skill position perspective, this is about as good as the Patriots have looked on paper at wide receiver, tight end, and running back in a couple of years, quite some time, maybe 2017, 2018, and the end of the Brady era is kind of the last time that I felt this good about the Patriots' skill positions. And also on the offensive line, I'd say Cole Strange, plug-and-play at left guard. Looks like on when who's going to play right guard with Shaq Mason now in Tampa Bay. I, I wouldn't necessarily say that we can say yet here in the spring, in the middle of May, that they've upgraded on the offensive line. But I think that they have some things to be optimistic about on that line as well. I'm really coming away kind of swooning about the offense, honestly, about their depth, about their talent, about their ability to mix and match skill sets because they have a bunch of different receivers that can do a bunch of different things. Maybe they don't have that one alpha in the room, but they got size and they got speed guys and they got inside guys and they can kind of mix and match it all together. Whereas on the other side of the football, I feel like the defense that gave up 47 points to Buffalo in the playoff game lost JC Jackson this offseason is flying under the radar a little bit just because the coaching staff stuff is what the number one conversation is defensively I have all sorts of questions about where this defense is headed who's going to play at linebacker who's going to play at corner what are their fronts going to look like what is their scheme going to look like are they going to be man are they going to be zone all sorts of questions that I have on defense whereas with offense I feel like they're just kind of picking up where they left off last season and building off of the 2021 year and bringing back most of the same guys plus adding guys on top of that. How do you feel about the general roster talent, I think is the way to put it, in terms of offense and defense after taking in practice yesterday? Yeah, it's definitely more complete. Again, I think there's still the search for the top-end player at a lot of premium positions, right? Wide receiver, cornerback. Um, You know, Isaiah Wynn not being there, I think, opens the door at left tackle. But I think there is a lot of depth. I think there, you know, there's some sneaky contributors that project on this roster. Honestly, if you want to talk about, you know, being optimistic about the offense, the biggest thing for me is James White was out there yeah, and he was limited and he didn't do a ton of team drills or anything like that. But we heard less than a month ago that, you know, he might not be ready for camp. And now at the very least he's in shorts and shells. He's got the helmet on. He's running through some individual drills. That that's an outstanding sign to me because they missed him terribly last year. We didn't talk nearly enough about what his offense meant what his absence meant for the offense as a unit. So if, you know, I'm still not getting optimistic. He's going to play week one, just based on some of what we've read, but if they're going to get him back at some point this year, that's a huge, huge boost. So very, very encouraging to see him out there. That was on it. You know, I'm not going to do football takeaways. Like you said, it's, it's right. a glorified walkthrough, but um, that, that was honestly one of my biggest takeaways was that James White was just out there on the field. That's a huge lift. Yeah. He is out there. I also thought given the stakes and given where we're at in the off season aside, Ty Montgomery was actually involved. I would say in two in terms of that receiving back role as well. So maybe they can build a bridge if James White's not ready to go. And Pierre strong is not going to be a rookie contributor in that role. As we've known over the years, it takes a year for the most part to yeah. get into that receiving back role. If maybe they're a year away with Pierre strong, I think Ty Montgomery could give him some reps and that role and be serviceable as a pass catching back as well. But I just came away from that, that practice. And you see Devonte Parker, we're going to get into him in a little bit more detail. I thought he looked really good yesterday. Looked like a professional wideout. Uh, Kendrick Bourne is still somebody that I think is going to just get better and better 
in this offense and is part of the solution and is the right thing for this offense and what they need. We saw that one-handed catch and that fade drill that they were doing down in the red zone. That was really impressive. You just look at some of these pieces that they have on offense. It's certainly more complete. It certainly feels like a more finished product in terms of the roster construction than what you're looking at on defense, where we saw a big rotation at corner it started with Malcolm Butler and Terrence Mitchell. Then it went to Jalen Mills and Jack Jones was in there. Uh, Sean Wade got some reps as like the second slot behind Jonathan Jones. Miles Bryant obviously playing some slot and some safety as well. But when you break the huddle and you're playing your starting defense and you're talking about the guys that outside corner that are going to be in that mix and it's Mitchell, it's Butler in 2022. It's a rookie fourth round pick in Jack Jones that still to me is the biggest question mark on this team and on this roster moving forward is what they're going to do at corner. And if they have enough at corner, especially with when you look at Buffalo, you look at Miami and you look at the rest of the teams that they're going to play on their schedule. Do they have enough at corner? I think is still the number one issue with this roster as it's constructed on May 24th right now. Right. Well, I think some of that, you know, I, I think the term unknowns is going to be a popular one. I think that comes down to the unknowns, right? What does Jack Jones give them? I, yeah. I was impressed watching him yesterday. There's some things you just, you can't see on tape. You have to see in person and, you know, the fluidity of his motion, how well he he changes direction, doesn't lose a ton of speed, all, all of that flips his hips. Like he's got that down. He's doing that at a very high level compared to where most guys are at this stage, where most guys are coming into the, to the NFL. So if Jack Jones can get, if Jack Jones can be a rotational player, if Jack Jones can play 60, 70% of snaps and yeah. do so at a, at a replacement level, that's, that's a huge boost, right? That's major. If he doesn't, the picture gets a little cloudier. Now, you know, again, I'm not going to make NFL talent observations necessarily, but Malcolm Butler looked to be in really good shape for a guy who wasn't on the field for a year. So that's certainly encouraging. So I think I saw some things yesterday that I liked at the cornerback position. I'm not ready to say that, the cornerback position is fixed or good or anything like that. Like there's still a ton of question marks, but for what day one of OTAs is, and we have to do a show today to quote Felger and Maz, right? We have to do a show today and doing the show today, based on what we saw yesterday, I I did kind of like what I saw from that group. There were some things that, that, uh, you know, stood out to me a little more than I expected them to. At the very least, Jack Jones being in the mix as heavily as he was so early on is a great sign, whether or not, he's ready to take on that big of a role or will take on that big of a role is something that remains to be seen that will work out in August and September. But in terms of his developmental track, right? Like where he is in his development, the fact that they're trusting him to be out there with the starting group at times already is a really good indication that he's picking up the playbook. He's doing his homework. He's impressing the coaching staff, whether it's in the classroom or it's out on the practice field. He's done enough to be earning those reps, which in May for a rookie that's been on the team for less than a month, that's a great sign. That's a great sign. And then especially when most of the rookies yesterday were pretty much non-participants. Right. Him and Cole Strange were the two guys that actually participated in practice at a full tilt. And well, relative, relative full tilt compared to what everybody else was doing. Yeah, right. But I, I'm just saying the other guys, uh, Pierre Strong, Tyquan Thornton, they were, I would have listed them as non-participants. I know a lot of people that listed them as limited. They went through positional drills at the beginning of practice and then they did nothing else, right? So right. those guys were really, really limited. 
it was nice to see Jack Jones already in the mix. Like that's exactly where you want him to be at at this stage, probably ahead of schedule, honestly, in, in some ways, the fact that he was already out no, there with that group. You let JC Jackson walk, you lose Jackson and Gilmore last year. The first corner you take, and you can argue that maybe they should have taken one sooner. That's a different discussion though. You lose your top two corners in two years. Your your top two corners right now are a guy who's probably a one guy's probably a safety. The other guy who was retired last year, the corner you take better be contributing day one. I would not say he's yeah. ahead of schedule. Maybe compared to their usual rookie standards, he's ahead of schedule. But for where this team needs him to be, he's on schedule. He needs to be a contributor this year. If he's not, I you know I, I don't want to play the whole go back and second guess the draft game. I don't, but. If he doesn't contribute this year, that's going to be the biggest question going back. It's not going to be, did they reach on Cole Strange? It's not going to be, did they reach on Taquan Thornton? It's going to be, why didn't they take a defensive back earlier when they had nobody at that position? I want to take a second to shout out our friends at betonline.ag. Our partners at BetOnline continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, including updated odds on the playoffs, fights, and even next season's futures. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting in your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started, so head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and use our promo code CLNS50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, let's talk about the coaching staff because we got to talk about the coaching staff for a few minutes. We did see the Patriots offensive coaches at work. We did see Bill Belichick be as hands-on with offense than I've ever seen him in my time on the beat, which granted isn't as long as some others, but this is training camp number four or off-season number four for me, and I've never seen Bill in the huddle with a play sheet barking orders on the at the offense he, he certainly would make corrections right after the fact play runs he steps in and says oh we got to do this better got to do that a little bit differently but in terms of actually orchestrating the offense that's as hands-on in the practice as they've ever seen him Joe Judge clearly to me is the quarterbacks coach right he's standing behind the quarterbacks with the quarterbacks working with them in the positional drills there was maybe some lines there where it was a little bit unclear whether it was bill calling the plays in or judge calling the plays in matt patricia sort of getting involved a little bit with some of that as well but it was a little bit unknown i would say that the one thing that maybe concerned me just a little bit it was there's a lot of voices right now right and it does seem a little bit like uh, you know, you take the torch for now, Bill. Then now I'm going to pass it to Judge. Now I'm going to pass it to Patricia. At some point, they do have to narrow it down, I think, to one voice as the main play caller. But I, I'm still not coming I mean, my opinion. I would just say, yeah, I think they should. You're right. I think they should narrow it down to one voice. But didn't didn't we say that all year last year for defense? And that never happened? So whether they should and whether they will, I think, are two different conversations. So I think that we're headed in the same direction as the defense. Ultimately, I think judge will call the plays and I think Matt Patricia will handle substitutions and personnel groupings and things like that. And that's exactly how they run things with Steve Belichick and Gerard Mayo. Steve Belichick has the play sheet. Gerard Mayo handles the sideline and that's how they go about running the play calling responsibilities on the defensive side of the football. Those two guys also come together with the rest of the defensive staff staff. And of course, Belichick himself and put together the game plan on defense every single week. So I think you're looking at 
Judge being the Steve of the offense, Patricia being the Gerard Mayo of the offense, and then Bill being Bill, right, where he comes in and he puts his stamp of approval on everything. I don't know if my opinion on it has changed. Like, I don't think that there's really much to glean that is now has me saying, oh, I absolutely hate it or I absolutely love it. We've both been kind of like, we'll we'll wait and see on the whole thing. But what were your thoughts just in general about how it all shook out? And we can even get into Belichick's comments before uh, practice as well, where he was deflecting, like classic Belichick deflecting pretty much every question about the play calling situation. I mean, I thought it was great. That was classic, Bill. Come on, (laughs) you know. I, I, you know, you look for, cause you get asked to explain it. Right. And, and I, and I go on shows, you go on shows, we go on podcasts, we go on radio stations across the country, you get asked to explain it. Um, you know, it's it, yeah. him saying it's more about the execution of the plays rather than the plays themselves. Like that's a yeah. catch all. I'll be using that all spring all until this thing gets resolved. I'll be falling back on that. You know, somebody asking him about calling plays. Well, Sometimes I've called them. Sometimes I haven't. Sometimes other people have called them. Sometimes other people haven't. Like, I love that. And credit to Bob Sosi too, dug up. And you can go find it on, on his Twitter. Uh, a, a newspaper article from Cleveland from 1991. And it's a column where they're ripping Bill for not identifying an offensive play caller in 1991. And they talk about him consulting with tight ends coach Ernie Adams and even defensive coordinator Nick Saban, right? And it's like, People are acting like this is uncharted territory, and it's not. Yeah. It's not. And again, I'll hammer this point home. Just because we don't know doesn't mean they don't know. And look, I I actually believe him when he says he hasn't decided who the play caller is going to be yet. I actually buy that. I think there will be a defined one. I don't know that we'll know. I do think he kind of wants to see – how the offense evolves throughout camp, because I do think judge and Patricia come from slightly different backgrounds and it may be one, what you, depending on which direction they want to go with the offense, one may make more sense than the other, right. As to who is, who ultimately gets the, the, not the final say bills, the final say, but who's ultimately the one who brings it to bill. Right. Yeah. So I buy that, but it, you know, in terms of the whole thing, I've said this on a number of shows so far over the last couple of months, I don't care. I don't care. I think ultimately it's all going to look relatively similar, whoever it is. The quarterback's coach one bothers me because it's a crucial year for Mac Jones development. We all know about the year two jump and whether it's judge or it's bill, there's got to be one guy and maybe it's Hoyer. Maybe it is Brian Hoyer. And then that makes it a little easier to swallow, but it concerns me that they don't have a true dedicated quarterback's coach. The rest of it, I think is overblown. The rest of it, I don't care about Wake me up when, you know, we have the answer when they release the coaching staff, which I think normally comes right before training camp, right? Um, I, I think that outside of the quarterback coach, I think it's all overblown. That's really the only one that that I actually think is worth discussing and has significant consequence to. Yeah, I think Judge is your quarterback's coach. I think Bill is also a so, quarterback's coach, you know, in some way, shape, or form. We've heard about Brady in, in his documentaries talking about those Tuesday meetings with Bill, with Bill and how he breaks things down to me. I, I think I said this last week when we were on this topic, having anybody, but judge call the plays, if you're going to have judge attached to Mac Jones's hip, like he was at practice yesterday, and you're going to have him be the quarterback's coach for all intents and purposes. And then you're going to have somebody else call the plays. To me, that's where the disconnect could come, right? That's where the the loss in translation could happen. 
is if the offensive line coach is in meeting rooms with the offensive linemen, nowhere near Mac Jones, then all of a sudden he's dropping in on Sundays and he's calling the plays, right? That's where I think that there could be some confusion. So if it's me, I, I, I at this point, if this is going to be Judge's role and Judge is going to be working as closely with Mac Jones as it appears, then unless Belichick himself is going to call the offense, then Judge is the easy candidate, right? Like he's the one that should be doing it. I don't know how that makes me feel that he's doing it, but he should be the one that, that that should be doing it because him and Mac will be speaking the same language, right? Him and Mac will be on the same page. They'll go through progressions. They'll go through ca- uh, game plan. They'll go through all these different types of things throughout the week. It, it makes the most sense to have him be the play caller. If that's the role that he's going to take on and uh, essentially be the quarterback's coach, whether they're going to name it by title or not, that's what he's doing. Right. That's the role that he is serving on this staff right now, based off of what we saw yesterday. Yeah, sorry, you cut out there for a second. Um, Yeah, it's more about, you know, the day to day, even the hour to hour of it. And Joe Judge is going to have other responsibilities. Like I said, this even last year with Josh McDaniels and they spent a ton of time together. But obviously, McDaniels had other things. He's the the full on offense coordinator. You had Bo Hardigree around, right? Like, right. that's really the guy I'm looking for. Stick somebody next to Judge who's just, when Judge goes off to work with the other skilled positions or goes off to coordinate the offense or whatever, that guy's there with the tablet or whatever it may be. I just, you don't, it would be a little weird for Hoyer to do that. It, you know, how often do you see the backup quarterback come over with the the tablet or the the, the photocopies or whatever and go through it? Like, that's normally a coach because you want that other set of eyes on it. No, I don't think that that's going to happen. I judge is going to be the guy. I think I don't think it's going to happen. You're right. That's my that's what that's what my issue is. That that's what my like. I don't. I'm not necessarily saying they need another Josh McDaniels. I'm looking for Bo Hardigree. Just give me that guy. Fair enough. Okay, I see what you're saying. I I still think that 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 in a way that probably will be a lot like Brian Hoyer. Right. He is kind of the assistant quarterback coach. You're probably right. It's unorthodox. It's a little hard to pick. It's a little unorthodox, but it's not completely out of left field. I mean, they've done – there's been other organizations that have essentially done this in the past. The one example that pops immediately into my head is Josh McCown. He was somebody that a lot of people had that feeling of of basically he was on the roster as a de facto quarterbacks coach, almost interviewed and might have actually gotten the head head coaching job with Houston – if the NFL had let that happen. So I think that Josh McCown has done that in the past. I think Kellen Moore was on the roster maybe towards the end of Tony Romo's career and and maybe in Dak's rookie year before he became a coach. And I I think he might've done something similar there in Dallas as well. So it's not completely unheard of for a veteran like Hoyer to be looking at the stills with Mac and, and to be working through things with Mac while let's say, you know, Joe Judge is coaching somebody else, right? Like while right. Joe Judge is doing something else. So it's not completely out of left field. Uh, I want to get to the schematics that we, you know, some of the schematic things that we think might be coming. I know that there's a lot of indications or people think, and we've kind of thrown out there that it would make the most sense for the Patriots to go to the Alabama smash mouth type of offensive scheme. Right. But I don't know if that's necessarily the direction that they're moving in, but I don't want to give away too much because I know we can't really get into super specifics. So this is just me talking. I think what we could be seeing is a little bit more Shanahan style than necessarily what we saw 
in terms of Alabama, right? Spreading the field, getting vertical, that type of thing. We might be looking at a little bit more of that Shanahan style scheme, outside zone, bootleg, moving pocket actions. Cole Strange in particular, I thought yesterday where they ran a, a quite a few outside runs out at practice, he can get to the second level, man. Like we'll see about the play strength and all that kind of stuff. And that develops with Cole Strange. But in terms of getting to the second level, uh, that guy can definitely do that. And he's got some really good athleticism. So I, I don't I'm not as sold at this point that they're going full spread Alabama, you know, RPO magic, all that kind of stuff as I was before. Uh, where are you at with that? Well, I mean, can it be both in that, sure. you know, could you take elements of, of one offense for your rushing game and the other for the passing game? You know, yeah. it, it, it's all about combining things, right? I'm I, I'm still not just the personnel moves they made. We, we saw one day of practice. I'm not about to erase everything I think, you know, the personnel moves tell us over one day of practice. I still think there's some Alabamification coming, right? Look, if you want to talk about the Shanahan thing, well, the Shanahan thing is reliant on a fullback. And granted, it's a more... Kyle runs it with a fullback. McVay... He runs it differently. He runs it out of 11 personnel, right? It's the same so, team, but one of them uses a fullback. One of them doesn't. And I would also say that use check is. Right. So that's what I was going to say. It, it could be more of an H back thing, but like, I still think there's a way to go to that with. I, I, I don't think it, maybe some people are looking for the full Alabama offense. I'm looking for basically how the Alabama uses the slot. That's what I want to see the Patriots do. Cause Mac Jones was great throwing to that receiver. It's they, you know, it, it, it's the more modern element to the game. They need that yards after catch guy. I think they have guys now who can play the slot the way it's played at Alabama. That's what I'm looking for. Shanahan, all you want outside of that. I just want to see speed or size in the slot. Like that, that's kind of what I'm looking for from the Alabama yeah. thing and maybe some RPOs. Um, and I, I, I don't think that, that that rules any of that out. Yeah, I just think the biggest thing when you look at that type of offense in terms of Shanahan, McVay, those guys, everything about their scheme is making everything look the same, right? The the pass game concepts, the play action concepts versus uh, the run actual runs themselves, it all marries together so that when they run outside zone and then they run bootleg off of outside zone, it all looks the same initially in the first couple of steps to the defense. So if you're running more zone concepts as a run team, but then you're running more power concepts on play action. Those two things don't marry up. And, so, and I think you're running into the possibility that teams don't fall for it as badly or don't bite on it as badly. The whole idea is to get everything to look the same. The window dressing is all the same, but the play itself is different. But I, that's why I don't think they're fully going there because the Patriots offense, the Earnhardt Perk, the Earnhardt Perkins offense at its core is the antithesis of that. It's you have a bunch of different looks that all kind of do the same thing, right? The Patriots playbook is, you know, you can run the same play. It's, it's like skeleton, the same call, but you have the same call with four or five different personnel groupings. So it looks like yeah. four or five different plays, right? That's if you think about it, that's the exact opposite of what no, the Shanahan the, offense is. A hundred percent. Shanahan McVay tree 
it, they don't run a lot of personnel groupings, right? They run right. everything out of pretty much one or two personnel groupings. McVeigh's a big 11 guy. Shanahan, if you want to call it 12 with use check, you can call it 12. Uh, if you want to call it 21, you can call it 21. That's the way that Shanahan runs there. Uh, McVeigh's offense, I want to say, is like 90% 11 personnel. Like they don't run different groupings. They're right. one three wide receiver grouping away. That's it. But the Patriots, like you said, it's, okay, well, we can run Haas D. Juke and we can run it out of six different personnel groupings, right? right. That's, that's our flexibility. So, yeah, it is different. And I, I think the one thing that really I found interesting yesterday, Kendrick Bourne was actually really candid uh, about the offense. And he mentioned that there's some terminology that Joe Judge might say something and it's a little bit different than what they've said in the past. So it's not just in terms of, okay, the plays are different. I, I think some of the terminology – whether it's judge learning back to his new England roots or the Patriots players adjusting to some of the ways that judge speaks in terms of language is also going to have a little bit of turnover there as well. It's not going to be the exact same thing that Josh McDaniels used to call it on every little technique or every little play call. I, I, yeah, I just still don't think that means they're changing the entire offense. No, I I don't think they're changing the entire offense either, but it's not necessarily changing the, like they've all they've had outside zone in their bag this entire time. It's just calling it more than maybe what they called, you know, over the last right. year or two. Right? I, I, I just not like yeah. reinventing the whole wheel. No, I agree with you. And I think that, yeah, I, again, I, th- I think it's more of a mix. This is what I've said from the beginning and it's not an easy question to answer, but it's, it's not throwing out what they do and bringing in the most new AG offense possible. It's modernizing their concepts. Because I still think the concepts at their core, especially with the group they have now, I the concepts at their core, I think they they can be very successful with. Again, I talked about it before, and we're getting into some real nitty gritty here. But again, with and, and maybe you can explain it more technically than I can. But again, with the Earnhardt Perkins offenses, is you don't have a lot of plays, but you you run the plays you have, you run with a lot of different players. Like you know, to go back a couple of years, right? If they had I'm trying to think of like the the year this would be an example. Um, I might end up mixing years here, but you know, if if you have one look and you run it with Philip Dorsett, Brandon Cooks, James White, Rob Gronkowski, and Julian Edelman, that's a lot different than if you run it with I'm definitely mixing years here, like Brandon LaFette. Like the point is they would have different receivers in, in different packages, tight ends that all have different skill sets. So if you run a play with all speed guys and yeah. then you run the, the same play with guys who win more with like size, right. And route running, you have to defend those two things differently, even though they're the same play. When I look at the, the team they've built now, right. Where you have Tyquan Thornton and Nelson Aguilar who are burners. And then you have Devonte Parker, who's just a bully, right. Jacoby Myers, a route runner, Kendrick Bourne's kind of a, you know, Jack of all trades kind of guy. like, if you run the same play, let's let's put let's say you go Parker, Bourne, Myers in the slot, right, yes. and then run the same play with Aguilar, Thornton, and Bourne in the slot, and, and and at tight end too. Let's say one way you do it with Hunter Henry, the other one you do it with John Smith. On paper, it can look like the exact same play: the X and O's, this and that, whatever, right? That's you're asking the defense to do two completely different things to defend you. I don't want to see them get away from that core concept because I think this team has been built very well this year. You talked about it, Evan, off the top of the show, the depth and the variation, not just the depth, but the variation they have at pass catcher. They have a bunch of guys who do all do very different things. I think they can really play to that this year. 
I, I just don't, you know, I don't want to see him go away from it. Cause I think the last couple of years, they haven't had that. They had a lot of guys who either all did the same thing or didn't really do anything. And yeah. It's, it's going to be you know, fascinating to me because what, what you're describing is obviously the Patriots offense over the last 20 plus years. Right. And I, I think the, what I saw yesterday was an offense that was trying to simplify things, right? They were running post cross. They're running, you know, post corner cross, right? right? Like they're running these simpler route combinations and with bootlegs. And I, I feel like what they're trying to do and a lot of ways is, is simplify it and not just because they need to simplify it. It's nothing to do with Mac Jones. I think it more has to do with simplifying it for the receivers, right? We've talked about this so often. Why don't they make it easier for the receivers and, and dumb down the offense for the receivers? Well, they're doing a little bit of that. I also want, have to wonder how much are they dumbing down the offense a little bit for the coaches, right? The fact that they have Joe judge and Matt Patricia, basically coaching offense for the first time or coaching the offense for the first time in 20 years in Matt Patricia's case, how much are they going to be able to utilize a system in the way that you were describing, right? Where there's a bunch of different personnel groupings, there's a, a core concept of plays, but you're running it out of different groups. Can they handle that from a coaching staff perspective or are they going to be a little bit more simpler and, and kind of simplify things I think when you look at the way that they've built themselves in the draft too, uh, we've talked about this. Cole Strange is the athletic offensive lineman, right? He's a great outside zone blocker. Tyquan Thornton is the deep post guy in this system, and he could fit that role. Pierre Strong is a one cut and go four three seven back with track speed. Those guys are really built for zone. So I don't know if it's necessarily that they want to go away from it, but they might be going away from some of it because they feel like the coaches, the wide receivers, all those guys would benefit from going away from it. And I'd also throw Johnny Smith's name in there too, from benefiting from this because he's not Debo Samuel, uh, but he certainly can be used in some different ways. Like they use Debo in San Francisco or like they use Kyle use in San Francisco. Right. So I, I think that there's a bigger role in the offense for a guy like Janu too, if you go in that direction as well. So it'll be interesting to see though. I, you know, look, it's day one that we got to see them. The point being though, is this is the time of year where we see basic install, right? This is your, your foundation being laid of your offense and defensive system. So if you're drilling these types of things on day one, you're not doing it because you're not going to use it. Right. Like the, 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 this is where you get into the, the simple core of your concepts. And, and it'll be very interesting uh, to see where this goes. Uh, let's talk about some players, though. We talked a lot about coaches, we talked a lot about scheme, a good combo. But let's talk about some of these players. You mentioned the wide receivers. We'll get to those in a second. Uh, we got to talk about Mac. We, we were 30 minutes into the show and I we haven't talked about uh, Slim Down Mac Jones. Uh, so we have a nickname for Skinny Mac, you know, or we got a, a, a clever pun there or something like that. I can't come up with one off the top of my head, but he said that he cut down the body fat. It certainly looked like it, you know, just standing, you know, 10 feet away from him or whatever during his press conference yesterday, cut down the body fat, worked a lot with uh, his mechanics and things like that. Uh, worked with Tom house a little bit. He, he did confirm that uh, I wouldn't necessarily go out there and 
have some grand proclamations of how Mac Jones looked based off of one practice in May. But the reports that he attacked the offseason, it seems like those were pretty legitimate based off of what we saw yesterday and heard yesterday as well. Yeah, and he said, you know, he lost the body fat, which he wanted to do, and now he wants to bulk up, which I think is a good call. Talked about being able to absorb hits, which is obviously important. This was, you know, a big thing for him. It's a big thing for any player going into the second year in the NFL. You you miss out on some of the offseason program as a rookie. You don't come in until late April, early May, and even then you don't totally, you know, you're doing rookie stuff. You're not necessarily doing the typical offseason uh, program there's rookie mini camp which is separate when other guys are doing more weight training and stuff like that so in general you look at second year players it has their body filling out how do they look physically are they yeah. making that jump with the full off season in an nfl program so that was a big box for mac to check he's got the slim down part uh the slim down part down we'll see how much he bulks up here but yeah he seems like he's on track in that regard yeah i like to hear that from kendrick Bourne that he lost the stomach right like that's yeah. that's that's what you want to hear that was one of the things that you heard uh, from people like Mike Lombardi after they drafted him, that they were going to have to get him in the weight room. They're going to have to get him in better shape uh, moving forward. seems like he's dedicated to his craft at this point, right? And really working on those types of things. You love to hear stuff about him working on nutrition, not just working on it in terms of practicing it, but also learning about it, right? Nutrition, sleep patterns, like all that kind of stuff. Uh, you, If you're going to be a star quarterback in this league, then you have to really dedicate yourself year round to taking care of your body and, and getting yourself in, in shape and staying in shape. You know, I, it's a TB12 method, right? Like it's, it seems like it's a very similar uh, sort of thing for Mac, honestly. Uh, you know, some of the things yeah. that he's been doing, uh, the boxes that he's been checking uh, seems really similar. So we got Slim Mac. Uh, I want to talk about the wide receivers too. You mentioned Devontae Parker. Clearly to me, Devontae Parker was the most impressive out of the guys yesterday. I, I really liked the way that he moved. I thought he looked fresh. I thought he looked healthy. Uh, ran some crisp routes. I had the big play on the touchdown pass from Brian Hoyer on the busted coverage. Uh, overall, just looked like a really clean player yesterday in terms of just being a pro going out there and doing his work and looking the part. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would agree with that. I, th I think the offense as a whole, really, I, you know, we've seen all the videos over the off season of guys working out together and they all went right to Mac's house for the draft and all that. And you're kind of like, Oh, they playing it up. The chemistry is real. I think the chemistry is real. And that's not something that should be undervalued. I, I thought when they were running that, that, that those fade drills you talked about earlier, born made the catch of the day, like Max, yelling the whole time like yeah let's go great catch that's all. like he's pumping guys up even when he's not throwing all of that you know I, I I buy it I buy that there's a little more than usual when it comes to chemistry right you go back to where they were last year last year at this time you know Mac I don't want to say he had to be careful but he wasn't QB1 right yeah he was it wasn't on him to kind of rally the troops and get everybody going all that you know Cam was here and Cam was excellent at that can we say what you will about cam at a time with the patriots yeah everybody loved those, those guys in the locker room loved him and he did yeah. a great job of you know getting everybody on the right page making sure everybody's out there is doing the right things also enjoying themselves keeping that chemistry up mac mac is be, mac is being very vocal right now and i i think that's super encouraging and i think kendrick Bourne is playing a role in that too and i think that's big as well i that that's the duo right there i think i think the patriots offense is going to go as Mac and Bourne go. And I'm okay with that. I'm actually really okay with that. 
Yeah, those two guys really bring a lot of energy to practice. Kendrick Bourne's always done that. We also saw uh, a little bit Tyquan Thornton, who I, I was told there was no injury with Tyquan Thornton. So do with that as you will. Maybe they're saving him. They're hiding them from us a little bit. Maybe they're just bringing them all along slowly. I, I hate to speculate, but I, I was told there was no injury related there. But we did get to see him run through. Uh, some drills and, and some drills against air uh, this time of year. It's all about body shaming, right? Like that's what we're doing. So uh, he did look skinny, right? You know, he's def- yeah. definitely got to hit the weight room, but you definitely see with him just going through drills uh, that he's got some explosive movements, right? You can see the, the explosiveness, the speed and his ability to really uh, hit that gear and go. But yeah, he's, he's definitely going to have to put on some, some real muscle and some real weight. He is rail thin at, at the moment. I mean, we we kind of knew he was a project player, right? And, you know, does a project player mean he's not going to be ready for the full year? Does it mean, you know, he's not going to be ready for camp? Like, there's a whole range of things. You're right. He's got to put some weight on. But I, it, it is a little annoying. You know, I, I, I want to see him out there running, but they're going to yeah. take their time with him. And given – I know Patriots fans don't want to hear that, like, hey, you know, it sounds like I'm making excuses for the team. Well, they're taking their time with him. It's fine. Well, they rushed Nikhil Harry. It was right. the opposite with Nikhil Harry. They put him out there when he probably shouldn't have been. And when we talk about Nikhil Harry's development, I think that first camp and the injuries and the on and off the field and all that, I don't know that he ever truly got over that. I don't know that he ever, you know, by the time he kind of caught up, I think it was too late. So, uh, like, my my whole playbook on this, on them developing the wide receiver, is what did they do with Nikhil Harry? How can they do the opposite of that? They rush Nikhil Harry. So if they're going to be a little slow with Tyquan Thornton, good in my book. Yeah, you also look at Maybe the, that's an oversimplification, but... No, no. you also just look at Parker. You look at Nelson Aguilar, who basically were trading off, I would say, more or less snaps. And they don't necessarily need to rush him on the field if those two guys are performing, right? Like, if Parker looks and plays as well as he did just one day in the middle of the spring, I get it. But if he plays well this year then you don't have to put Tyquan Thornton on the field before it's it, he's ready. Right. You don't have to right. rush him. It's not, I think the biggest thing with Nikhil in 2019 is the Patriots needed him to perform. Like they needed him to hit on that pick. They needed that pick to work out and they needed an instant contributor in their receiver room because they lost Gronk and Nikhil Harry was basically the biggest addition that they made to the team that off season after Gronk retired it's a much different situation, I would say, that Tyquan Thornton's walking into where they have two X receivers in Parker and Nelson Aguilar who can play and, and don't necessarily need to rush him onto the field. I, I would say that in terms of weight, you know, I think he was, what, like 180-something, uh, low 180s at the combine, Tyquan Thornton. Sounds about right, yeah. If he gets up to 190, 195, I think he'll be fine. You don't want to put too much weight on him that he slows it slows him down, right? You don't want it to be too bulky. I do think his frame could take on more of it. He is tall. He, he, he's got – you can tell that he's got some height to him. So I think that they'll get him right. I, I don't necessarily think that he has to go and, and add 20 pounds of muscle to be a good NFL player – but he's going to wear some coverage and he's going to have to uh, deal with some physicality if he doesn't put on a little bit of weight. But I'm not too concerned about about his weight. I think that that's uh, 
this time of year type of thing, right? Where we, we get it. Remember when uh, Mac came in with 50 on last year and the Jersey was like three sizes too big for him. And everybody's right. talking about how small he looks. Uh, that's kind of how I, I feel about Tyquan Thornton and his weight. I I'm sure they'll get him in uh, to the strength and conditioning program and get him right in that department. Yeah. And it, the question is how long does that take? Right. That's what it comes down to. Is he going to be ready this year? Is it next right. year thing? We'll have to wait and see. All right, last thing about the offense. I do want to talk about the offensive line. Uh, Cole Strange, uh, impressive. It's day one, no pads, really not evaluating offensive linemen, but looks the part, moves well, kind of did looked the way that I expected him to look in terms of the scouting report, right? Basically everything that you've heard about somebody like Cole Strange uh, coming in, good athlete, gets to the second level, quickly gets out in, in a hurry. Uh, all those things I thought translated from what the little bit that we saw yesterday. W- what do you make of Isaiah Wynn? And, and look, I, I always hate to get on people for voluntary participation, right? This is a voluntary portion of the offseason. Not everybody has to show up. You don't have to show up at all. It's not You're not contractually obligated. It's not mandatory. So I always err on the side of the player when it comes to this sort of thing. But he didn't really participate last year in the program. It didn't bode well for him going into the season. He got off to the slow start. He's in the contract year. He's due a lot of money. So he does have some leverage with the fact that the Patriots have to pay him all that, that cash. But I was really surprised to not see Isaiah win out there. Matthew Judon, Lawrence guy, Adrian Phillips, like those guys fine. Like if you don't want to show up, I I totally understand. Do your thing. Judon, after the way last season ended, I was a little surprised Judon wasn't there. I guess. I don't know. Judon, to me, is a proven veteran. Pro bowler, good player, proven veteran player. I'm fine with him not being there. Isaiah Wynn feels like he should be there. And on top of that, I'll even go as far as to say, if Justin Huron continues to have a strong spring and a strong summer and and looks like a real uh, viable option to start a tackle, it would not shock me if the Patriots start to make calls on Isaiah Wynn. Right? If, If they don't think that he's all the way bought in if he's not in shape if he comes in out of shape like he did last year the clock's ticking on win to me and i'm i'm somebody that's kind of been in a win apologist to be honest with you and and really backed him in some of the tape that he's put out there at this point it's getting to feel like maybe he's getting a little bit too complacent even for my liking i uh, yeah I, it's a contract year so i'm i'm surprised he's not there he's got you talk about how much money the team owes him he's got a lot of money on the table right if yeah, he has another year like he had last year. He I, he might be get starting tackle money. He's not going to be at the top of the market, you know. Whereas if he plays kind of up to the, I don't know that he's had a full season of it, but the the flashes of the potential we've seen, he's going to get a bag. So I'm a little surprised not to see him out there. I I do think the idea of them trading him is interesting, similar to what they did with Sony Michelle last year. I think he would have some value. The question to me is. You know, we're worried about their tackle depth a bit now. Where do you go from there, right? If you move Trent to the left side, I don't know if they have another true left tackle. If they move Trent to the left side, which I would hope they would do without win, then is it Justin Huron on the right side? Is it Andrew Stuber on the right side? Yeah. Are you moving Michael and Wendu back to right tackle? And then, I don't know, Chase and Hines at right guard, right? Um, are you bringing back Marcus Cannon maybe to play right tackle? Like, then that becomes a conversation. Granted, if you're uh, so here's here's where I I say that I somebody I'm somebody who's talked about trading Isaiah Wynn for a while. Granted, I thought they're going to take a left tackle high in the draft. I I'm never in favor of trading 
willingly opening up a hole in the offensive line. Patriots already did that once this offseason when they traded Shaq yeah. Mason, right? That being said, if you're not certain about when, I would rather have a question mark at right tackle than left tackle. And I don't consider Trent Brown at left tackle a question mark as long as he's healthy. So yeah. if they're not positive, when is a guy is the guy to play left tackle for 16, 17 games, then I think it does make a ton of sense to trade him. If they think he can do it for 17 games, I think I think you're asking for trouble at that point because I don't know who the next guy up is. So I think it, ideally, you know, Justin Huron, I think, can do it. Now, he had much better tape throughout his career at left tackle than right tackle, right? That's the big thing with Huron. Right. But I guess you would hope that if you're drilling him all summer long at right tackle, that the reps in camp would hopefully get him more comfortable on the right side than what we've right. seen in the past. Whereas in the past he's flipping left, right, left, right, because they're training him to be the third tackle. They're training him to be the swing tackle. So maybe full-time reps at right tackle would work some of those things out for Justin Haran. Trent Brown at left tackle is interesting. He said it last year. And to my memory, I don't remember him repping at left tackle at all last summer. Like he was never over there. Uh, last year so the fact that they're even putting him back over there i think is interesting as well and maybe a message to win like if you don't get here you know we got we're comfortable with trent at your spot right like we're comfortable with trent being there at left tackle like i said it's a lot of money on the books for isaiah win it's not an easy contract to trade either i i wouldn't say because yeah maybe you can sell a team on the fact that he's a starting caliber tackle for one year and then you decide what to do with him, but he's got to stay healthy. He's got some concerns on the tape, even when he does stay healthy. I, I don't know. There's a lot of question marks around that player. So to take on that kind of salary would also be a, a little bit of a difficult move for the Patriots, but I'm interested to see how this shakes out because if he decides to sit out most of the offseason portion of the program, then he comes into training camp and he's out of shape again. And Justin Haran's playing really well at right tackle we could see them move on sooner than we expected or sooner than the contract would suggest. And I wouldn't necessarily blame him honestly at this point with Isaiah Wynn. I, I think that that's one player that has shown immense potential, but has never been at any sort of consistent, right? It's been a roller coaster. Yeah. For three plus years so far with Isaiah Wynn. That, that's the perfect way to put it. He, the consistency's not there. We've seen flashes where he looks like a true starting, you know, top 15 like left franchise tackle, left tackle. Yeah. yeah certainly like we've seen it at times but he can't stay on the field when he's on the field it's you know back and forth so did you have him as a as a lock when we did our exercise last week i don't remember i did i don't know if i'd have him as a lock if we did it again today like, so like oh well let's recharacterize that though to be fair he's not gonna get cut no right fair enough it, yeah they, they they might trade him he's not gonna get cut so he he's one of those he's not he's not a guy who's gonna get cut but that doesn't mean he's definitely going to be on the roster. Yeah. Yep. It'll be interesting to see if he will be out there next week on the 31st, a week from today. That's yeah. another voluntary practice before mandatory mini camp. Let's see when he gets in here, right? Like, you know, if he's out there next week, then maybe he's staying through the duration of mini camp and, and that would bode a little bit better in terms of where he's at. But like I said, didn't come to, any of the offseason portion or most of the offseason portion last year either didn't work out for him. So uh, remains to be seen what the future holds for Isaiah Wynn. All right, moving over to defense again here. Uh, we talked about the cornerbacks, I think, enough earlier uh, with Jack Jones and things like that. Linebacker, though, 
Uh, two guys that I think stood out to everybody that was out there yesterday, but one in particular really stood out to me was Rayquan McMillan. Uh, picking up right where he left off after the tour ACL last year, playing right next to Juwan Bentley. Uh, Cameron McGrone was also out there a bunch. Josh Uche was kind of wearing all the all the hats, moving inside, outside, those types of things. Uh, that seems to be like the group, right? And I think Rayquan McMillan's a, a player that I'm starting to really come around to that could be a real contributor for this team next year as they break in McGrone and hopefully develop Uche a little bit more off the ball. And those guys are not ready to take on 60, 70% of the snaps off the ball. They might be able to give some of that workload to Raekwon McMillan. Yeah, I, I, I'm really excited for Raekwon McMillan. People who are new to the show who joined, you know, really after he got hurt last year, didn't get to hear her. I'm such a fan of this guy. I yeah. think he can really play. I think he's has like starting potential. He's been hurt throughout the beginning of his career. That's really the one knock. I, I'm to see him kind of picking up where he left off last year. I, I'm, I'm excited. I'm happy for him. All of that. Yeah. Like I can't wait. This is going to be. Get ready to hear me talk a lot about Raekwon McMillan in the next couple of months because I'm, I'm really excited to see what this guy's going to bring to the team. I think he's going to give them. He's not just a good player. I think he gives them an element they haven't had. Right. I, he's not that coverage linebacker that, that maybe some people want but for them to play defense the way they want to with their linebackers coming downhill he can play downhill while at the same time he has that sideline to sideline ability he's not limited to just contributing inside the tackle box right he can go out and flow with the play on a stretch run or if the quarterback's moving or whatever he's going to be able to keep up with those guys we talked a lot during the draft about guys like Quay Walker Troy Anderson uh, Christian Harris same idea same guy except yeah. he has NFL experience. So uh, he was second round pick, by the way, back in 17, I want to yeah. say 17 or 18 by the Dolphins. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm super excited about what I saw from Raekwon McMillan yesterday. Yeah, me as well. And I, although he's not a true coverage linebacker, like nobody's going to mistake Raekwon McMillan for Fred Warner in coverage, right? right? He's not like a pure coverage guy. He's moves a lot better. And I think holds up a lot better in coverage than what they've had here the last couple of years, right? Like Dante Hightowers, Juwan Bentley's. I think this guy's a little bit different uh, from those types of players. We didn't see a ton of Cameron McGrone. He did talk after practice. Seems like he's chomping at the bit to actually hit somebody, right? I don't think he's actually right. gotten to hit anybody yet. So I'm sure he's ready for the pass to go on in a, a couple of months. But another player that I, I don't think, you know, we talked about this after the draft. A player that has had a ton of positive vibes come out from Matt Groh to Gerard Mayo and Steve Belichick to the uh, his teammates, like I, the the what's the word like the hype train, right? For this guy is is off the rails at this point. Like everybody's yeah. trying to tell you how good of a player they have behind the scenes in Cameron McGrone. Uh, we didn't get to see a ton of him yesterday in terms of live team drills, uh, but you know. What did you think of what he said? And uh, are you still on the hype train? Or, or is the hype train still humming in your opinion? Yeah, I think we've heard guys talk about this in the past and his situation is a little different because he's a rookie, but whether it was guys who missed seasons due to injury, some of the opt out guys from the COVID year, right? When you go through a football season, but you're not necessarily preparing for games on a weekly basis, guys have talked about how they can look at their game differently and maybe refine things and work on the details and all of that. that yeah. You just might not get to do over the course of the season because you got to work on, you know, game plan and install and all that every week. And McGrone talked about that. And that to me is really encouraging because it, it just means he's, he's a, I think he's approaching this the right way. 
Like that, that's the way they want guys to approach the kind of circumstance he was under. And I, I should say the same about uh, McMillan too. He said something similar. Um, that That's really what excites me with him is I, I think he took last year. I don't think he just used last year to rehab. I think he saw it as an opportunity to grow his game and improve his game while he wasn't on the field. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what those two guys can do. I really am. I think that, that between them and Bentley and, and Mac Wilson, they've got a well-rounded group there. Uh, yeah, it's like a lot of other positions. I, I don't know that you necessarily have that top end talent. You, you mentioned the name Fred Warner, right? They don't have yeah. that guy on the roster, but right. they've got guys who can do everything. It's going to be about how they mix and match them and in, in, in the personnel usage and really how the coaching staff ultimately deploys them. But I, I think they have an encouraging group at linebacker. I think the, the need at linebacker, you know, coming out of the, the off season, maybe they didn't approach it how we thought they'd all approach it. But I, I think that's maybe a little bit overblown com- compared to the way it's being talked about at times. Yeah. At the top of the show, I said I was worried about corner. I am. I definitely am worried about corner with linebacker. I think this is an instance where change might be good, right? Yeah. The fact like that I'm, they've I'm moved more on worried about corner than linebacker. I'd agree with you on yeah, that. Yeah. The fact that they've moved on from Hightower, they've moved on from Collins, they've moved on from Van Noy, and they're going to let the kids play. I, I actually think – and I wouldn't count McMillan as a kid. So I guess I shouldn't, you know, the kids and McMillan, right? I mean, he's not that he's like 26. No, I'm just saying that he, he's done enough in the NFL where I, I, I think calling him a kid is a lot, you know, um, I don't like he, well, he even said like, they asked him about it yesterday. Somebody asked him about what it's been like in the room without Hightower or Van Noy or yeah. Collins, like that veteran presence. And he said, um, I actually might have the exact quote right in front of me. I, uh, I will in a second here. But he said something along the lines of we have a young group and, and we like it. So I, I think he considers himself, you know, young and kid. It's kind of um, I would sure. consider those terms interchangeable. Uh, here it is. We've got a lot of young guys, a lot of good chemistry, though. A lot of the old veteran guys that had a lot of Super Bowl runs, playoff runs, you name it. Those guys did a lot for this team and for this organization. But we've got a young group coming up and I like where we're at. So I would I, I'd consider him a kid. I'd consider him a younger guy. Look, he's. 26 years old yeah he's gonna turn 27 Him in and Mac Wilson are, are must be around the same age right there yeah yeah so I'd say I think- he's he's 26 years old he's only played 45 NFL games in theory if he stays healthy he could be a guy who's here and contributes for multiple years I you know I don't think he's a guy where you know you're worrying about him year to year because of the age I think he's a guy that if he plays up to his potential could be you, know, you mentioned those guys, uh, Hightower and, and Van Noy and Collins, who were kind of foundational pieces in the defense at that position for multiple title runs. I, I, I think if you're looking for who is that next group, you're looking at Bentley, ideally. Yeah. You're looking at Bentley and McGrone, and I would include McMillan in that as well. Yeah, I, I think this could be with linebacker, and I think they're hopeful of this too, addition by subtraction in a lot of ways, and that's not to disrespect Hightower and Collins and Van Noy and what they meant to this organization and did for this team, especially Hightower over the years. But it's just time for an, a change. It's time for a new guard there. It's time for some fresh, uh, you know, some fresh blood. And, and I do think that they have some guys that are talented. So I'm interested to see how this all comes together. And it's good to see that they're allowing some of these guys, these younger guys to play. I think Uche in particular that he's a good football player. Like I, I think it's different with Uche even than what, what it was with Chase Winovich. Cause I really do feel that Uche has the instincts and the natural ability to play off the line of scrimmage too. If they need to make him 
kind of like in a high tower role, right? Where on first and second down, you're playing inside linebacker. And then on third down, you come on the line of scrimmage and rush the passer. If they have to play him like that, because he's not a first down edge setter, he's not sturdy enough against the run to do that. I think that Uche has that capability, but there are just so many veterans ahead of him that it was that finding him a role and finding him snaps was really difficult to do other than in third and 10, when they told him to get in there and get after the quarterback. So I'm glad that they're finally giving these guys a chance because they're either going to sink or swim. And if they sink, then you know that you got to go draft one next year, right? Like that's, that's the answer right there. But in a lot of ways, I think other teams look at it at like quarterback and they say, Oh, well we got to play Davis mills because we got to see what we have right in Houston. I think the Patriots have to play the young linebackers because they have to see what they have in that group. They either have it or they don't. And the guys that don't, then well, now we can, draft and replace right we can get rid of those guys and bring in guys that maybe do have it so i'm glad they're finally getting some clarity just some answers in general uh, about what that group is going to be moving forward uh anything else that we didn't hit on alex said uh you want to talk about i think we we had about dozen in terms of patriots get to the boston sports minute here in a second it was uh, you mentioned james white was out there Jonathan Jones was also out there and was full tilt from everything that I saw. So it looks like John Jones is completely healthy, which I think is a massive, massive development for the Patriots, especially given what slots did to them last year, what Isaiah McKenzie did to them last year. Now Tyreek Hill down in Miami as well. They are going to need a really good season from Jonathan Jones. And it looks like he's ready to go. Uh, Miles Bryant looked, you know, relatively good given what yesterday was as well. The one I, I did see some people asking me about special teams. Uh, we didn't see either of the kickers. I don't know that they weren't yeah. there. They were kicking the field house or something. Did get to see Jake Julian for the first time in person. The ball comes off his foot real weird and like in a good way. I it, It's got a bizarre axis. It tumbles a ton. He's a lefty, but, but even then it, it, it wobbles a good amount. It's going to be tough to field. So Bailey, Jake Bailey looked good too. You know, he was kind of dealing with some injuries last year. He, he looks healthy now. Uh, I, I, I'm not, it was just solo work. So I'm not going to say that, you know, it's a real competition or Julian's close to Bailey or anything like that, but getting to see Jake Julian for the first time, the first impression was uh, the way the ball comes off his foot is definitely a challenge for returners. So that's, that's something the Patriots value at that position. It's something they look at. I think it's a big part of the reason they drafted Jake Bailey. He's also somebody who's got a real wonky ball. So there's the, there's the punter takeaway. Get, get those muff puns. Uh, somebody in the chat favorite UDFA to make the roster. You pointed this out to me yesterday. Oh, yeah. LeBron Ray, massive dude, huge, massive human being. When you are big among big guys, like when your size stands out, it's like Trent Brown, right? It's like, Oh my right. God, this guy's a monster. Uh, LeBron Ray is not quite Trent Brown, but he's a big dude. He He's very big. With, it's not like Trent Brown's big. Like you know, he's like 300, whatever, 60 pounds. LeBron yeah. Ray just, his length. He's, he's taller than all the other defensive linemen. He's got long arms. He's got, you know, big feet that goes into it in terms of planting a strike. Like he's just, you know, he's just one of those guys that he looks like an ideal defensive lineman. And when we talked about him after the draft, he wasn't not drafted because of a lack of talent. He just couldn't stay healthy. If he can stay healthy, he's a player. So I'm, I'm, you can't evaluate him. You can't evaluate linemen in OTAs. There's no pads. I'm not going to do it. But yeah. just he looks very physically imposing. I'm looking forward to see him once the pads come on. I think he's going to be a player. Yeah, that's the guy that once the pads go on, we get to see that pop, right? Does he right. have that? Phys- Does it translate the size, uh, translate to the physicality and all that kind of stuff? They could use a well, even if it's just a, as a rotational 
uh, piece or even if it's, you know, a very limited role, uh, having one more guy that they can go to and one more dart to throw in terms of run defense and being sturdy up front, uh, even if he's like a three, four defensive end, if they stick with that odd front, uh, that would be, that would go a long way. I think to have one more body, right. Somebody that maybe can develop into kind of like a, you know, the role that Lawrence guy has held down as that four, I five technique defensive end. LeBron Ray certainly has the tools. It's not going to be physical. That's going to hold him back. It's going to be staying healthy and, and, and all that kind of stuff that plagued him at Alabama. Physically, the guy's got all the traits that you need to be an NFL player. So I'm interested to see him as well. All right, let's, let's do it, Alex. Here we go. Boston yeah. sports minute to wrap up the show. Alex, you've been with the Celtics for what the last week now or so uh, covering the team, covering the games. What do you make of last night? Because as excited as I want to be that they tied up the series as happy as I am that they didn't completely blow this series by going down three, one, I, it's hard to be excited because you just know that each game in this series doesn't seem to matter, right? Like the last game doesn't tell you at all about what's going to happen in game five. Uh, where are you at with the Celtics now? Because they do uh, need to break that trend because if it just keeps going every other, they're going to lose in game seven and going home. So at some point they have to win two games in a row here. Yeah. That, and that was a common talking point among the team last night. There were a lot of questions about, how they've bounced back from losses, right? Cause they, they haven't lost consecutive games in the playoffs yet. And the idea was basically, well, you know, we play our best when our backs up against the wall. So even though we just won in a two, two series where two, you know, best of three where two games were in Miami, our backs are still against the wall, even though we just won. So I like that approach. I do. Yeah. I actually found last night's game encouraging because it did feel like they were starting to, teeter on that team that's just live by the three and die by the three. And that's what it is, right? Regardless of how they play in every other facet of the game, if they're hitting their threes. They win. If they're not hitting their threes, they'll lose. And you don't want to be that team, yeah. right? Even, even the warriors at their best, they did other things. Well, you need to be able to do other things. Well, and so to come out last night, they shot 23% from deep. They won by 20. They only shot under 30% 11 times this season. They won, or sorry, 22 times this season. They won seven of those games. They only won two of those games by more than 15 points. So generally when they shot poorly from three, it was a close game. The two games they won were both against Orlando. Not a good team, right? Yeah. So to have that kind of shooting night from deep and still win the game, I think is a great sign. They were able to get to the line. They were able to score in transition. They played excellent defense. My other takeaway from last night, I actually had this takeaway coming into the game. I tweeted about it before the game and it played out well. I wrote about it after the game for 98.5thesportsub.com, we need to give Al Horford some serious credit here. Oh, we yeah, really do. Because... But he's so different when Rob is out there. Because so, that, that allows him to be a little bit more free, I'm sure, right? Where he doesn't have to well, be that paint anchor because he knows he's got Rob there. Right, I, I would just say, right. even, even like more base level than that, coming into the season, right? Horford, it looked like he was acquired as a salary dump move. He only played half the season last season. Uh, they, they said they were going to have to manage his minutes. They did. They ultimately did. He was a guy It seemed like he wasn't going to be able to play back-to-backs, three or fours, things like that. Right. They didn't have him do it. He only played 60-something games. I think it was 68 games. He averaged 29 minutes a night. Now you get into the playoffs. In the last set, they've played nine games in the last 17 days. They've been Crazy. every other day since game three of the Milwaukee series. Yeah, it's insane. 
in that span, Horford is playing eight more minutes a night than he was during the regular season. He's up to 36.6 minutes a night. He's nearly averaging a double-double in that span, 12 points, nine rebounds per game. And when you look at it, they've had Marcus Smart miss time. They've had Robert Williams miss a ton of time. Derek White, like they haven't, their rotation's kind of been a mess. The guy who we thought they were going to have to be careful with and limit has carried them. Think about it. If Horford needed maintenance nights, you're looking at increased minutes for Daniel Tice. Uh, You're maybe playing Grant Williams more as the five. You're maybe having Aaron Neesmith on the floor more. But Al Horford has been able to give them consistent quality minutes every night. I don't think anybody was counting on that. Even halfway through the season. that you know, Even when they started to go on this run and it was clear they were going to make the playoffs. Horford playing every other night, 35 minutes a night in the playoffs sounded like a ludicrous idea. The fact he's been able to do that and stabilize their rotation as they've dealt with all these injuries, as Robert Williams has been in and out of the lineup, that that has been such a huge factor for them. It hasn't been talked about enough, but I, I think he deserves a ton of credit, not even necessarily for the way he's playing, but for how much he's been available throughout these playoffs and been able to kind of help as the injuries have really taken a point, uh, taken a toll. Yeah, he's a he's been terrific. He he's been the I think you called him the MVP, right? I think that that's a fair moniker for him this this postseason. He's been great. I, I think in this series though, they need Rob Williams. And whether last night I think he played 18 minutes, right? It wasn't a lot of minutes, but his 18 minutes were so impactful. And you look at Game Three, which I was unfortunately at, and that was not a lot of fun on uh, what was it Sunday night? or a Saturday night, excuse me, Bam Adebayo had the game of his life, right? That was, you know, the best game of the series for Bam by far. I don't think it was a coincidence that Bam took over the game when Rob Williams couldn't play, right? Like, I think that that goes hand in hand. And the more that I watch this Miami team, I, I at first I thought it was Tyler Hero. Like, I thought, you know, sixth man of the year, I thought that guy was the X factor. When Bam plays like he did in game three, they're a really, really good team. Like, they're really, really tough to beat. But Bam's not consistent. Like one night it's there, one night it's not. So I think that if they can limit Bam, it really does limit their offense as a whole because his ball handling and his scoring ability is really rare for a guy that size. So I think they need Rob Williams in this series a lot more than they need Marcus Smart at this point. They need him to be able to even just give them 15 to 20 minutes a game on that knee and and they should be okay. Celtics should win the series. We've been saying it all series long. Everybody in Boston's been saying it, right? The Celtics should win the series. Right. Uh, now they have to go out and do it. Uh, props to Derek White as well. Great game last night. Uh, ba- kind of a big bounce back game in a way. I think probably his best postseason game uh, of his uh, Celtics career so far. And uh, I got to say, I, Alex, I love Peyton, Peyton Pritchard, man. That guy, that guy's awesome. Like, he's just yeah. like... He's short, but he's quick, and he he got great handles. He obviously can shoot, and uh, he's just crafty. Like, the way that he gets in and out of uh, the big bodies and the pain and the way that he gets his shot off, a really crafty, perfect bench player. Like, especially in the postseason, give you a a quick 10 points off the bench. Like, that's exactly what you need out of a guy like Peyton Pritchard. Celtics, uh, right now, we're high on him. Like, we'll come back on, on Thursday after they play tomorrow night. And if they lose game five, we'll be back, you know, in, in the dumps with the Celtics. But right now they are, uh, they look good. And, and that's all that you can hope for there. How about your Red Sox, Alex? You, you come on the, the podcast the last couple of weeks. We've done the Boston sports minute a lot, obviously in the off season here. And uh, you've been ripping the Red Sox, a new one and very rightfully. So playing some good baseball now, 
right? They're they're coming back. What do you think? You, are you buying it? Are you all in yet? Well, you know, this is what this team was supposed to be, right? Nobody was looking for the pitching to come out and have like the pitching staff to have four or five Cy Young candidates. The idea was they were just going to outscore everybody else. And now yeah. you got Trevor Story hitting, uh, Franchi Cordero hit it. Like they finally made a switch at first base. I, I'll be honest. I didn't think it was going to be Franchi. I don't think anybody thought it was going to be Franchi, but he's hitting had the grand slam the other night. If yeah. they're going to hit like this, they'll win games. Now the question is, did they dig themselves too deep of a hole? You know, the Yankees were rolling there early on. Tampa's still a good team. Um, Toronto's got that advantage where, you know, they're just going to be unreal at home. But I, I, I buy it in the sense that I, I think this iteration of the Red Sox is the real Red Sox. I think they're going to win some eight, four games. They're going to lose some nine, eight games. And that's kind of who they're going to be. But um, it, it's not like basketball where 10 teams get in. You know, you, you got to really earn it. And I know that there's more spots now, but there's still not a ton. I think there's a good chance they make this thing close late. And, and we're all kicking ourselves in September. Just, man, if they could have started better, what could have been? Yeah. It's great to see Trevor's story start hitting. The He looks tailor-made for Fenway like we all thought he would all of a sudden, right? Like that guy yeah. gets five home runs in his series. You know, you see the swing. You see the uppercut over the monster. You love to see that. I've been hard on Franchi. You texted me. You're like, your boy Franchi is getting better. He, he's a player now, right? Like he can actually hit. Seems like he's gotten rid of the uh, not as many swing and misses as what we saw from Franchi uh, the first time around when he's in the majors for the Red Sox. If he becomes even a serviceable first baseman and hitter uh, for the Sox, that's such a big upgrade for them at that spot. So that's a uh, that's good to see. One thing that I'm still just not entirely understanding, and maybe uh, you can help explain this to me, Ops, is that why is Garrett Whitlock not in the bullpen? Because how many games do they probably win that they've lost in the night? You know, they I think they lead the majors in blown saves, right? I think that's the, the, the statistic. It's like six blown saves in the ninth inning or later or something like that they win probably five of those games at least if Garrett Whitlock's the closer, right? So what's going on with Garrett Whitlock's role? Because not only is he not being used in the most valuable role for him, he's also not starting games particularly well, right? Like last couple of starts have not gone particularly well for him. Uh, so what, what's your take on Garrett Whitlock? Well, this, this is the problem. They don't have enough major league starting pitching. It's not even that they don't have enough good pitching. They don't have enough arms. And, you know, they're flying Brian Bellow up through the system now, who's there? I think he's their fourth-ranked prospect. He's their top-ranked pitching. I don't I'll check Sox prospects. I don't think Tanner Houck's technically a prospect anymore. Um, yeah, he's not. So Brian Bellows, their top pitching prospect, 23 years old. They just called him up to Worcester. He's going to make his first, or his second AAA start tonight. I think the idea is they're trying to get him up here and get him ready. Yeah, uh, Brian Mata had... Tommy John last year. I think the idea is he might be back by the end of the year, but that feels wildly aggressive. Uh, Josh Winkowski's on the, on the fringe too, but they don't have anybody else to start these games. They just don't. And I I'm glad they tried Whitlock as a starter. Cause I think he showed so much progress. I think he earned that shot. Maybe he is better off in the bullpen. Maybe he should be a closer. Maybe we figured that out now, but it, they don't have the bodies. It's not even like a math thing or anything like that. It's, they could have gone out and signed some career journeyman. Like they did basically like they did with Michael Walker. They need like, they needed right. two or three of those guys and they signed James Paxson, but he can't pitch this year. He's coming back from Tommy John. They were probably counting on having Chris sale, which yeah. they probably shouldn't have done. So, um, so if Chris sale comes back, then are we, assuming Chris sale that, should be in the bullpen. 
Chris Sale so should think, be in the bullpen. So you think maybe Chris Sale is the is the answer of the back end of the bullpen? Like, yes. Is there a way? So I don't Chris remember because Chris Sale can't throw a hundred innings in a season. He just can't right. anymore. He so can't. I don't remember. Exactly have him try the, to the way it went, but like, didn't John Smoltz go in the bullpen like later on in his career and become a closer? Like, can we see something along those lines? Yeah. With Chris Sale, it's, where now he's just like one inning of dynamite stuff, so he's going to be a closer. So, so Schmoltz is different. I mean, the game's completely different at this point. I would say with Chris Sale, I'll, I'll, I'll give you this background. So Chris Sale originally came up as a reliever. He was throwing gas. He's throwing like 102, and it was great. And yeah. the, like he has that funky delivery. So the, the idea was we well, can't throw that many pitches. He can't throw that many innings. Yeah. And then the White Sox were in a similar spot to where the Red Sox are now, where basically they didn't have – enough starting pitching. So he said, all right, well, we'll start him and we'll see what happens. And what you know, he was a lights out starting pitcher and it's great. And he was excellent, but it was never sustainable for him to be a starter. It never was. The other shoe was always going to drop. Yeah. I think it's time to put him back in the bullpen. You can limit his innings. We're getting the most out of him. This team desperately needs a closer. Uh, I'm not necessarily saying that you can't also move with lock into the bullpen. Maybe that's your eight, nine, but Chris sale should not start more games. Chris sale should be in the bullpen at this point. He should at the very least be like that stretch reliever. Like Whitlock was last year. I, I don't think you can ask Chris sale to throw a hundred innings. Cause I don't think he's going to be able to do it. I'm with, I'm all for it. If they think that Chris sale is better off in the bullpen, the way the bullpen has looked, that might be the solution to the, a lot of those problems. I'd even say to make them the closer, right? Let, let them close games. I think, you know, some of the pushback that you hear from the nerds is that closers don't matter and it's all about matchups and all. Well, clearly the Red Sox have proved, even if it's a small sample size, Heim, the Red Sox have proved that the, there's still a value to a, a shutdown closer, right? Like a guy, you give right. the ball the ninth inning, you know, Mariano's obviously the guy there, but even like Craig uh, Kimbrell, right? You know, he, he doesn't have to be the greatest closer of all time, Mariano Rivera. Like even a guy like uh, Craig Kimbrell, at least in the regular season would come in game over, right? Like that's the type of guy that the Red Sox uh, desperately need. Like no more Hansel Robles in the ninth thing. Like it was cool because he set up the grand slam for Franchi to win it on a walk-off, which was obviously a great moment, but like, we don't need that, right? Like we, we, those, those should be W's in the win column and, and not extra inning games. So there's our Boston sports minute uh, Celtics. I just, Stop riding the roller coaster of this series. You mentioned how many games they play. Was it nine in the last 17 days? The NBA couldn't have built in a day off in this Eastern Conference Finals. Wait, so you see the final schedule. I, I, whether Celtics or not, it's unwatchable. It's brutal. The, the NBA needs to fire whoever schedules their playoff games. So is, is there more days off, at least in between games? There's I mean, they, more days off, but it's like be, they, it's take a, East West, they take a right? Friday and Saturday off between yeah. games. I forget if it's five or six or six and seven. Play Friday night. Play Saturday night. You're going to have a nine o'clock tip. Don't play Sunday night. Right. Don't don't play the championship games. It's ridiculous. Yeah, the whole thing is ridiculous. But at least some days built in there. Days built in there. Get it's just Boston to Miami, and it's not like the longest flight in the world. And you're chartering planes nowadays, anyways, with these crazy planes that they got flying back and forth. So it's it's not the same as like it was when you're flying coach or something like that. But still, the players need the days off. And I think in this series in particular, what you've seen. Uh, just quickly, uh, even on the other side, right? Jimmy Butler gets hurt. Tyler Hero gets hurt. Like the injuries are in the fact that there are no days off, at least, in, you know, just the one travel day in between. It's starting to add up for both teams and it's kind of hurting the product, you know? Like it, it's just, 
that's the thing that I think looks at I look at the most besides like the enjoyment of the series kind of being a little bit eh because of the blowouts. It would be nice if there was some more days off for these players so we would get healthy players All right, once they do go out there for the games. But it seems like they're cramming this conference finals in there, which uh, they don't need to cram a conference finals. It's too important right. to, you know, be just being like, all right, let's well, don't just worry. They, they didn't cram the NBA finals. We're going to be doing the NBA finals for like three weeks. There we go. I like that. Let's do it for three weeks. Why not? It's what else no, is going play, on? Play the damn games. Play the games. Do an extra day off. You do an extra day off when there's yeah. a travel day. That's what you do. So you go game one, day off, game two, two days off, three, day off, four, two days off, five, two days off, six, two days off, seven. That's how it should be. Yeah, there should not be three days off between games at any point. And they should not be playing every other day for an entire series. Yeah, fair enough. All right. So that uh, does it here today for us on Patriots speak. Going back to the Patriots. Uh, the Pats are going to be out there at OTAs twice more, I think, this week, if I, my memory serves me right. Uh, but we will not be uh, attending those practices. Those are closed to the media. The media will be back out there a week from today on May 31st. Bill Belichick doing us all a solid the day after uh, the extra mo- day off uh, for Memorial Day weekend. Has us out there again on Tuesday morning for Patriots practice on May 31st. Alex and I will be out there. We'll do a show. We'll do the whole thing. And on Thursday of this week, now we'll do a live Q and a edition of Patriots speed. So you can come back, ask your Patriots questions. You guys know the drill by now. And we'll do that on Thursday this week. And then we'll be back out there at Gillette on Tuesday. It was nice to get out there yesterday. It was good to uh, have some football, actual football to talk about and not just on paper, even though it wasn't, pads and it wasn't contact or anything like that at least there was something more for us to to talk about than just uh depth charts and things like that did you get any sun yesterday i i totally forgot about like standing outside i don't know if people can tell like how burned i am like i got i was so red yesterday when i got home oh my god felt good there's a lot of jokes in there but i'm just gonna i'm just gonna plead the fifth about what you getting burned yeah yeah you're just Come on, you need that. You need that that Sicilian skin. I'm not even Italian, but I I, I tan. I don't burn, which is nice. I normally tan too. I don't know what it was. I was surprised. Maybe it's a COVID thing. I don't know. All right, all right, all right. So Alex and I will be back on Thursday. Q and A Tuesday, recapping what we see out at Patriots practice next week. But until then, signing off for Alex Barth. I'm Evan Lazar. Thanks for watching, everybody, and we'll see you on Thursday.